0: They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling. And now, they bring to you the greatest legends, hall of famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are... Primetime Paz and Jazz, the two men!
1: The two man power trip of wrestling brought to you and powered by Mix It Up Sports. And of course, Mix It Up Sports presents Restitution live July 11th from the Manassas Park Community Center in Manassas Park, Virginia. Please visit MixItUpsports.com for more information. It's going to be a night of MMA, Muay Thai, and submission grappling with over 20 bouts. Already scheduled. With that being said, my name is Chad, my partner. He is primetime pause. And primetime pause, before we get into today's episode with the great Don Fry, we're going to take a little detour very, very briefly. And we're going to hear from the man who does our voiceovers. This was sent in by our man, Cousin Chris, Chris D. He had the opportunity in the past couple of days to talk to Jeremy Stevens about his big fight on the aforementioned July 11th and primetime. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about it?
2: Yeah. uh, When uh, cousin Chris, if you will, got in touch with us and um, sent this in, we were very pleased because we wanted to be a part of promoting UFC 189, a huge, huge show. Obviously hampered by a huge injury to Jose Aldo. So the – main event of Aldo McGregor obviously will not be happening, but Conor McGregor still will be fighting Chad Mendes at UFC 189 in the main event. And then, of course, the co-main event, Robbie Lawler against Rory McDonald, which should be a good one. Now, as far as the guest we have today, Jeremy Stevens, he will be fighting at UFC 189 against Dennis Bermudez. So that should be a good one. And, uh, Pretty uh, pretty excited to hear what he's got to say. I mean, this is very interesting, a very cool opportunity to not only uh, get this sent in by Chris, because he does a lot of great, great interviews with a lot of MMA guys. So it's also pretty cool to be uh, you know, involved in promoting UFC 189.
1: Definitely, without a doubt. And we're going to listen to that a little interview with Cousin Chris and Jeremy Stevens, and we will be back with the definitely, definitely interesting Don
0: Fry. Yes, Chris D'Angelo here, and right now we have UFC Featherweight. Jeremy Stevens on the line. Jeremy's fighting Dennis Bermudez this Saturday night at UFC 189. Jeremy, how's it going today?
3: Awesome, brother. How are you guys?
0: I'm great. I, I mean, so you're a couple days out here. Um, you know, h- how are you feeling a couple days out? You know, so, You Do you have any weight to cut still? Um, and. You know, with with this recent, I have a question for you right off the bat about this recent uh, IV ban that that came out. I don't know if that's an effect already, but uh, how does does that affect you at all?
3: Uh, you know, we'll see. You know, we'll have to uh, do the right preparation and uh, prepare uh, for that. But uh, you know, this fight, you know, they uh, they threw it out there on us, but they're they're giving us a little bit of a leeway to uh, get more prepared and. And I uh, kind of thank them for that because you know I, I do uh, go uh, to the hospital and I do get IVs so uh, you know next next time around or whatever you know may have to uh, prepare a little bit different but I have good nutritionists and uh, smart people around me and uh, we'll do it the right way and and uh, get more knowledge on that and go about it uh, the best way that we can.
0: How how bigger how much weight do you usually put back on when you? between Friday night or whenever the weigh-ins are, between that amount of time and, and when the actual fight is, like, how big are you in the octagon?
3: Uh, sometimes I'm, you know, I, I try to get better, bigger than 72. So, come fight night, I'm I'm walking around 170, 171, 172. So, in between there is about by how much uh, weight I gain. Where's so that's just fluids, and I'm still kind of dieting uh, during the fight during the fight day. I'm I'm eating performance food, so. Uh, I hydrate uh, quite a bit back on uh, through fluids and uh, proper nutrition.
0: So you're not one of those guys who just like goes to McDonald's the next morning just to uh, get some. No, energy back? no.
3: I don't. I don't do soda or any of that, man. I, I'm I'm uh, I'm pretty strict and disciplined uh, through fight night. Once once I get my hand raised and it's
0: uh, it's a uh, fat boy status after that. <laughs> yeah. What at what point when uh, you with fighting Dennis Bermudez? Taking this fight, you know, how are you game plan game planning for Dennis Bermudez? Because I, you know, he's a guy who you figure is probably going to try and take you down. What what's your plan of attack? Go in there and kick his ass, man. Uh, that's
3: you know that's how I fight every time. go in there and whoop him up. You know, I know they're going to be trying to take me down. It's no it's no secret. Uh, you know, once I hit him, he's going to be looking to ankle dive. I know that if if, if he wants to keep try to keep a Brawler pace, then fine. I'm a, I'm a good technical brawler, and I I'll I'll, uh, I'll knock him clean out on the feet. If uh you know he wants to shoot, we we got the we got the skills to pay the bills in the wrestling department too. So, uh you know he's he's screwed either way. You know he doesn't really have a choice. But it's the same plan with every guy I fight. You know they're looking to take me down and and uh, lay on me and make
0: it boring, and I'm looking to uh, get up, knock him out, keep it standing. We're talking to Jeremy Stephens, UFC featherweight. Now Jeremy, I, I gotta ask you about you know, you're the you're the third fight on this card, the co main event being Robbie Lawler, Rory McDonald, and of course the main event being Chad Mendez and Conor McGregor. how, how is the how have you dealt with the media over the past two weeks? Is that something that has been um, Something that you dealt well with over the over your career or is that something that for this particular fight being that it's it's arguably one of the biggest fights that the UFC has ever put on, one of the biggest cards the UFC's ever put on. How are you dealing with the media?
3: Uh, media is just part of the game, man. If you want to be at the top, you know, you gotta you gotta be traveling and, and doing lots and lots of media and stuff that you don't wanna do. And that's uh that's the price you pay for being at the top, you know, it's uh everybody wants to be there but it's always crowded at the bottom, so I'd rather have a, uh, media annoying me, you know, being at the top than, you know, a bunch of nobodies at the bottom. So, I mean, it's just, it's just part of the task, man. You know, you gotta, you got to get your name, build your brand. You know, after UFC, uh, your name could be forever remembered. And, and uh, you know, media helps out with that. They, they help out with a lot of, lot of aspects that can really uh, put you on the map. And uh, sometimes, you know, people may not know who I am, even though fighting 22, 23 times in UFC, they may not know who I am. And, uh, you know, with eyes on this card, you know, certain media, certain people could uh, start recognize me and have having a good fight, you know, catch catch attention of uh, new people and uh, new people tuning in. So it's, uh, it's just part of the job. And I handle it pretty good, man. I don't uh, I'm always been a positive person. I don't really uh, have anything. But, you know, if they were if they were to do it during the weight cut, then we'd probably have
0: some serious problems. Do you think that the the UFC's recent deal with Reebok for, for you guys for the, for the fighters do you think that it adds do you feel as if as a fighter that it adds credibility to the sport or, or to the UFC as you being a fighter in the UFC do you feel like it adds credibility
3: Yeah I, def- I definitely feel like it adds credibility having a big name like that back back the company and uh, you know it's, it's better than a bunch of no names that, that you don't don't really know and recognize. I feel like uh, you know the the no names and some some of the, those people though their their loyalty is a little bit thicker you know which I'm I'm big on loyalty and and uh, you know that that always helps out if like you're from your hometown and they're they're supporting you and throwing you some nice cash and stuff like that and you're doing stuff on the outside with them it's 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 always good to have that that loyalty that friendship that certain bond with Reebok the credibility for the UFC that was a big business move but you know, uh, you know, are they going to be as loyal to us as, as our other the sponsors? Are they going to be treating us? Right, you know, I guess uh, we'll have to see how it all uh, plays out in the end.
0: Are, are you, so you're still able to get sponsors outside of the UFC? It's just in the octagon only? It's basically like Nike and the NFL. Yep, yep.
3: You can do, you know, like, kind of like how, uh, you know, Peyton Manning does his uh, Buick commercials. Right. Know, he does that outside the NFL, but uh, inside the
0: NFL you got to wear specifics. Gotcha. Okay. Well, we're talking to Jeremy Stevens, UFC featherweight. He's going to be fighting Saturday night at UFC 189 against Dennis Bermudez. Uh, Jeremy, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the main event. Now, it, obviously, you're fighting, but this is a big deal for your division specifically because it's for whatever reason in the past it, it, with the UFC, for whatever reason on pay per view, the lighter weight classes have not generated as much. Fan interest or the casual hasn't drawn the casual fan in for whatever reason. The pay-per-view buys are, are down sometimes. Even the Chad Mendes Jose Aldo fight didn't draw as many viewers as you would have thought because that's a great fight. But do you look at this main event with Conor and, and everything that comes along with with Conor McGregor and the trash talk and, and, and all that? I mean, how how big could that be for the the division and the UFC in general? huge man. If uh you know, if Floyd Mayweather
3: wasn't in boxing, how good would boxing really be doing with uh revenues and pay per view buys? And uh a guy like Conor McGregor uh brings the microphones, brings the brings uh brings the show in and people love hearing him talk and his old little feng shui that he's got going on in his trash talk. It, he's pretty brash but uh he brings a pretty thick uh Irish crowd with him and they're 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 loyal to him man and uh they're they're really loud. I mean if if this was America versus Irish and this is a loud contest, America would just be squashed <laughs> by the by the Irishmen, man. And, and they're so loyal, you know. They don't, you know, they don't they don't like anybody, or they they like their their fighters that they like, and that that's it. You know, they're they're not they're not booing people like the American fans. They'll be cheering Kane Velasquez and be like, yeah, we're going. But then Kane's just holding Junior Dos Santos on the cage for three rounds, beating him up clearly. But then like all of a sudden they they'll start booing because they think it's boring. You know, and it's just like, they're just so, they're ignorant, you know, sometimes. And they, I just don't understand why the American fans don't really rally up and support and have that loyalty that uh, some of the other fans do. You know, some of the fans like the Mexicos, the Irish, the Brazilian fans, they kill us in loyalty. They kill us in the, the, the arenas. I mean, their arenas are like two, 3,000 people sometimes. And the, the, they're louder than a, a sold out 65000 or $14,000 uh, or $14,000 seat. At the MGM, sixteen thousand, whatever it is, and they'll just those crush us on the loudness and the craziness. So, you know, America really needs to uh, wake up and get behind some of their fighters and uh, start creating some of that uh, that hype and, and that rise. But, you know, as of right now, uh, Conor McGregor's uh, he's doing it. He's doing it for the division, and
0: it's uh, it's not a bad car to be on to go and uh, steal that thunder. If you were going to be facing Conor McGregor at some point, he was acting the way he acts or, or just portraying himself the way he portrays himself, the way he was with Aldo, the way he is now with Mendez, and you were fighting Conor McGregor. How would you react if he picked up your belt off the table and put it up in the air? How, how would you react as a fighter?
3: Oh, I would have beat the shit out of him <laughs> right there. You know, I I, I mean, if he would have touched me, I would have beat the shit out of him. You know, if I if I would have seen him and he would have said something, I would have beat the shit out of him. You know, I, I'm a... Uh, you know, I'm I'm kind of street when it comes to shit like that. If you you know, I'm not really good at trash talking, but I'll beat your ass. You know, right? If uh, you know, somebody pushes me or gets in my face, and threatening me or something like that, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna swing on you. You know, uh, you know, but you know, you gotta handle yourself in a conductive manner as well. But if if you, if I feel like he's he's you know getting too too close in the hot seat, then I'm gonna I'm gonna probably smack him like a little bitch or something like that. So. <laughs> Uh, I really wouldn't be that chill. you know mentally I'm gonna be prepared, but you know if he gets up in my grill or something I might I might
0: have to smack him. Very cool man. Jeremy Stevens gonna be fighting Dennis Bermudez this Saturday at UFC 189. Uh, Jeremy real quick before I let you go. what, what, what round? what's your what's your prediction for uh, for this fight Saturday night for your fight? I'm
3: predicting a, predicting a great fight. You know, no, uh, I'm not cocky in round prediction or anything like that, but I'm, I'm real well prepared. This is going to be a great fight. This is an exciting fight for the fans. Don't blink. Could end in the first, the third, or it can just be a all-three-round all uh, war. So I'm expecting anything and everything, man. It's just going to be a great fight, and we're going to steal that thunder.
0: Jeremy, thanks so much for the time.
1: All right, and we are back And prime time. Man, we've been waiting to put this one out for a little while. The great Don Fry, what a talk it was, probably one of the fun, well, maybe the most fun times I've had uh, interviewing anybody thus far, it was definitely an adventure, you're going to hear a large portion of it, it it's definitely uh, one for the books, uh, a lot of great professional wrestling stuff, obviously you and he discussed uh, some MMA uh, related material as well, but let's, let's stick to the pro wrestling side of our discussion, and uh, whew, what are your thoughts on the Don Fry interview?
2: He's so real. I guess I can just put it that way. No BS. Straight shooter. Straight talker. It's so cool to you know just be involved with him in that way because you always see interviews with him where you know he's just shooting on somebody or just telling it straight. But it's just great to be able to ask him the questions and really delve deep into uh, some awesome Don Fry comments. Some awesome. Don Fry-ness, if you will. Um, some awful awesomeness from him. Just, um... I like the NNA stuff, obviously. I mean, that's kind of what he's known for. But the pro wrestling stuff, you could tell as soon as we started talking about that, boom, he uh, you know, he perks up even more. and He loves talking about that side. He loves Brad Rangans. Loves Kurt Hennig. He just loves pro wrestling. And... It was really, really a really fun talk. There was... Uh, it's it's funny the way it worked out. I mean, obviously for this show, but there was some audio issues in the beginning. And we were talking about Mark the Hammer Coleman and some MMA fights and stuff. Then, boom, perfect audio. As soon as we started talking, like digging deep into the pro wrestling stuff and his time in New Japan, so pretty awesome stuff from Dan Fry. I, I loved it.
1: Yeah, we uh, we had some speculations as to what. Uh, it's almost like a game you could play. Maybe it's like a, you know, take a shot. Uh, every time you have a guess at what Don Fry is doing in the background uh, during the interview. <laughs> in some parts, and I know, John, you got to talk to him a lot leading into the interview, and I know that was, uh, that was almost like a play-by-play, uh, you know, eagerly awaiting every time you had a phone call with him. I'd love to hear your stories, but one thing, and I actually, is I'm just remembering this now, is um, when we were syncing up with him and getting him on the show, and, uh, you know, we had a, a couple, like you said, we had some audio issues, but we also had some issues with the line that night and trying to get him on and uh you know we tried to call him and then he tried to call you and you tried to call him and uh, left me you know waiting for you to get back uh you know back in patched in with us and i got a a second to kind of experience the uh the don fry experience that you had and it was uh it was fun but just kind of uh, i don't want to peel back the curtain but I want you to talk about a couple of your uh your your interactions with don fry just you and he
2: First of all, it's just crazy that, you know, you're getting in the like a thing. You know, it's just uh, the surrealness of it because he's such a legend. And obviously, I mean, been following his career since I was a kid and just always enjoyed him. So I was like, man, Don Fry's funny. This is going to be interesting. So it was just really cool just to just get talked to him talking about, obviously, uh, he said he wanted to go out drinking, obviously what he was doing. You know, just a little small talk. But, you know, in his true Don Fry way, he was just so funny. And then he's like, hey, man, I was listening to your show, and I'm like, oh, awesome, cool. He goes, how'd you get Austin Idol on? So I'm like, oh, you know, I went told the story of Austin Idol I and mean, everything else. He's like, ah, oh, he's an old friend of mine, you know. Uh, so then we talked about Austin Idol a little bit, talked about Rick Player a little bit. It was, it was really cool to be able to talk to him, you know, just man-to-man about basically him being a huge fan of the business. I mean, it was really cool, and... Really funny, just to talk to him about some of the stuff that he was doing. I'm not really going to get into it, but some of the stuff he was doing uh, around his house, and you know, what he was drinking, and so on and so forth. So, awesome stuff from uh, from the
1: predator. Yeah, he was the man. It was uh, it was so much fun. Like I said, we just had a lot of fun, uh, just putting it together and doing it. It was. Uh, you know, we did. We're on a different time zone, so it was very late at night. For the two of us and it was just uh it was very cool but also you know he talks about what he's into now and acting and he's uh building quite the uh the the acting resume and he's got to be a uh, hell of a guy to have on a set for uh entertainment purposes
2: Oh well, i know that about that he's been in uh some movies he's been in some commercials been doing uh been doing a lot of stuff actually so uh i think it'd be pretty awesome you know have a little uh little brewskis with him and hang out on the set and um yeah, let him intimidate some people for you.
1: Oh, yeah, totally. But, yeah, the wrestling stuff is uh, off the charts awesome, if you love to hear about uh, Japanese pro wrestling in the late 90s. Uh, hear some of those stories, some of those just knockdown drag-out matches that he was involved with and talking about trying to basically get out of Japan uh, before, uh, you know, people were going to get him because it was a, kind of an issue that he had in the ring and he was kind of fearing for his life. But I'm going to let him tell That story, prime time. And before we wrap up, I just want to mention, once again, today's episode is brought to you by Mix It Up Sports. And, of course, they present Restitution July 11th at the Manassas Park Community Center in Manassas Park, Virginia. It's a night of MMA, Muay Thai, and submission grappling with over 20 bouts on the card. Please visit Sports. Dot com For more information, thrilled to be working with Tim and the guys over at Mix It Up Sports. They put on a hell of a show, and of course, another one of uh, somebody very close to Don Fry's uh, legacy, and that's Dan B. Severin, who's on the board of Mix It Up Sports, another great friend of the show. Please listen to the long uh, interview that I did with Dan Severin dating back to the beginning of the two-man power trip of wrestling, uh, but primetime, that's enough out of me. Why don't you tell the fine folks where to go? Two
2: Man's Power Trip of Wrestling. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Wrestling Palin at Two Man Power Trip. And, of course, the website, tmptofwrestling.com. That is tmptofwrestling.com. Also, on the upper left hand corner, you will see a bombas link. Bombas is the greatest sock of all time for those of you that aren't aware of that, and every pair that you purchase, one gets donated to the homeless. so please go to that link on our site. You will see it in the upper left hand corner. It is bombas If you want the greatest sock of all time now, without any further ado,'ve got to send it over to one of the most fun interviews we've ever done. An awesome, awesome MMA fighter, a great professional wrestler. And, folks, if you want to hear an unbelievable story about Antonio Inoki and possibly one of the funniest-slash-greatest-slash-most awesome stories of Inoki, Japan, and let's just put it this way, getting Don Fry out of Japan and back (laughs) to the States, you are going to want to hear this one. It's a great, great story. So without any further ado, please enjoy the Predator himself, the MMA Hall of Famer in my mind, and yours too, a great professional wrestler. Folks, please enjoy Don Fry.
1: Tonight is a man who really doesn't need an introduction, but I got to do it, and he is an amateur wrestling, kickboxing, MMA professional wrestler, and absolute legend of all types of combat sports. He's also a, quite an actor, if I do say so myself. He is the Predator, Don Fry. Mr. Fry, thank you very much for joining the two man power tripper wrestling.
4: Thanks for having me, man. Thanks for having me. How's so the pleasure.
1: world treating you, boy. I'm sorry, what
4: was that? How's the world treating you all?
1: It's treating us pretty damn good, if I do say so myself. John, how about yeah. you? How's the world treating you?
4: Don. No, are talking to
2: me or John?
1: <laughs> Don, I'm talking to I'm talking to John if he's in there somewhere. I,
2: think John <laughs> oh, I, thought, he, I thought you said Don. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I said... Perfect. John, this is your first show, boy. Come
1: on. <laughs> John and Don, but I'm going to turn to Don now. Uh, Don, you know, there's been a lot of transitions with uh, mixed martial arts and professional wrestling, and obviously... <laughs> You had a pretty successful transition yourself, but uh, Brock Lesnar re-signed with the WWE this year, and we—it's been kind of documented your some of your feelings towards uh, Brock Lesnar. But what do you think about that tease that he had about possibly jumping back into MMA and then subsequently retiring? Uh, I
2: think it was a tease. You know, he played it right, just like the just like the media is playing everybody with this Baltimore thing. You shit! Know, just, just, you know what I mean? And I'm glad he, congratulations to Mr. Lesnar. I'm glad he chose to stay in the pro wrestling world.
1: And he's not the only one because then also, uh, CM Punk did the reverse and he left professional wrestling to jump to mixed martial arts. And uh, to say he's been a lightning rod without even getting in the cage is an understatement. But, uh, what do you think about uh, the possible chances of CM Punk, uh, you know, getting a, le- a real legitimate opponent and uh, and having a run in the UFC?
2: Uh, there's absolutely nothing. They're, they're gonna feed him fish. You know, uh, they're gonna handshake his opponent so so perfect. It's be, like, it's like all the authenticity of a reality TV show. Now. Speaking of CM Punk and the UFC, do you think that Punk can actually be a successful UFC fighter in the future, you know, given some more time and some more training? No. No, I don't, because, um... You know, I think this shit cheapens... Cheapens, um... The sport, you know? Back when I did it, it was a fight. Now it became a sport. And now it's becoming, um... Entertainment, you know, and it, it just cheapens everything that people have been fighting for for, you know, 20 years. And, uh, you know, just doesn't give any respect to, to what everybody's dedicated to. Those. Now, you're a, a longtime friend of Randy, the natural tour legend in the business. And he ended up losing to Brock Lesnar at one point in his career. What did you think about that fight? What did you think about um, Lesnar, really, in in his time in the UFC? I think Randy got a nice payoff for um, his contribution to uh, Lesnar's record. I'm sorry, I didn't really hear you. I said, I think Randy got a nice payoff for his contribution to uh, Lister's winning (laughs) record. Oh damn! What about uh, I guess Frank Mir too? Same, same goes for Frank. Yeah, yeah, they're you know, I mean, they're both you know, they both got a couple new houses and new cars out of the situation. In 1997, you actually retired from MMA. And you decided to go to pro wrestling with New Japan Pro Wrestling. Who actually yeah. ended up training you for your pro wrestling debut? Brad Ray, You oh, know, God bless Brad because He's great. God bless the late Zip You know, because um, uh, they, they had hired Ken's camera for a trying to, and Ken ended up going with uh, WWE. So, Brad. Um, he he, uh, he took a fourth in the '76 Olympics in Montreal, and he should have he should have uh, got at least a silver. But back then they did the point system, and so he you know for the 80 Olympics, um, you know uh, the Carter and all of this infinite wisdom boycotted uh, him. and uh, then. Brad trained Jeff Lutnick for the 84 Olympics when Jeff won you know, the gold medal there in LA. So, you know, Brad was the the recruiter for um, New Japan and he called up Jeff. He says, "Hey, you know, we we need a uh American guy who's uh, you know, all-around fighter and wrestler and badass guy who, who can think and has some manners and I, can you recommend anybody?" God bless old Jeff Blattnick, he recommended me. And uh, Brad Reagan's called me up, and we talked several times. And then, uh, you know, he brought me out to Minnesota to meet Antonio Inoki and Masa Saito and uh, Fujita and Ogawa, and it just we just hit it off. It went good. And I worked for them for two years on a handshake. Yeah, that must be pretty amazing, especially with that list of uh, legendary Japanese names. But did you also train with uh, Kurt Henning at all? Yeah, Kurt Kurt was a real good friend of Brad's, and Kurt would pop in, you know, and um, he's just the funniest guy in the world. You know, you saw, I don't know if you saw the video, of Mr. Perfect, Life of Time, Mr. Perfect. Everything he did was just awesome, you know, he he was hit Hit the ball out of the park. He, he hit a hole-in-one. He, he, you know, he goes to a bar with him. He, he win at darts. He hit the bullseyes. I mean, he just... The guy was just bulletproof. It was a fantasy man. You talk about pulling, pulling some ribs. On One time, you know, we went over there to Japan, and, you know, they, they we hooked up... Uh, shit, I don't know if it was in Minneapolis or L.A., to fly over there, but he ended up uh h spawning me, and you know, i put a couple of on in my in my beer, and i just I woke up like <laughs> the next day I don't remember I don't remember the flight I don't remember getting from the flight to the hotel, I don't remember checking in, you know and I said what the hell you know how did I wake up here and it's just he just he got me he got me good, you know he was a king
4: <laughs>
2: now we talked to King Mo recently and he trained for some pro wrestling. He actually said pro wrestling training is harder than MMA. Do you agree with him? Yeah, because you gotta handle these guys with kids', kids gloves. You really do. Because, um, you know, there's, god damn, you squeeze them too hard, they scream. and uh, it, you know, they just they're performers, you know. They're not. They're not uh, fighters, but they are athletes. You know, you've to give them that. And uh, you know, you, you can't blame them for getting mad at you when you hurt them because they gotta. They gotta do this thing, you know, twenty twenty-seven times a month. So you know, you gotta. You gotta stay healthy. And yeah. uh, you know, I, I was. I was real heavy-handed. You know, so I uh, I didn't make a lot of friends in the pro wrestling business. Now speaking of New Japan Pro Wrestling, and you mentioned Fujita, well, he was I guess he was one of your first matches actually in New Japan. What was it like working with Fujita?
0: Fujita was great. I mean, yeah, it was my
2: first match, and he carried me. You know, <laughs> <laughs> shit, if it wasn't for him carrying me, I'd have been lost. And uh, Fujita's a hell of an athlete, and uh, From pro wrestling, the fight game, it was a natural because, I mean, that guy was just dirt tough, man. Just tough. Tougher than a $2 stick. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, he had that uh, almost beat Fedor. He's basically the guy when Fedor was in his prime, he came closest, got that nice uh, right hook in, and uh, he actually ended up almost beating him. That was an interesting fight. Well, I tell you, that brought everybody to the edge of their seat, didn't it? <laughs> oh, yeah. Fedor had the uh, the wobbly knees. Yeah, that was crazy. Yeah. Hold on, guys. Hold on, guys. The boss. Just hold You there? Yep. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I drop my, my Yeah, if he would have beat Fedor, hell, he'd be the prime minister of Japan right now, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, didn't, didn't they say the rumor was with pride that the, the the Japanese were, like, looking for somebody to basically to dethrone him? That they kind of wanted to get the title off of him, or is that just a rumor? That must be a rumor, you know. I mean, they, they had a cat a cow, you know, exactly Yeah. Part. Oh, yeah. You know, they're not gonna, You don't kill... You, know, you don't kill those old dudes unless you're a freaking idiot. And the Japanese aren't stupid. Now, speaking of golden gooses and cash cows, you, I mean, going through the awesome laundry list of wrestlers that you've wrestled, the great Muta, Kd Muto, what were your thoughts on wrestling him? And was that that an honor for you to wrestle uh, somebody with that big of a name?
4: Oh, man.
2: I do not at first, but Muta Muta is really impressive himself. You know, yeah. So let's leave it at that. <laughs> You're not a big Muda fan. Um, I'm as big of a Muta fan as he is a Don Fry fan. How's that? <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> now another legend you wrestled. I don't, I don't know if you can have a good thing to say about him or not. Was. uh, Tatsumi Pujanami, who recently went into the WWE Hall of Fame. Did you enjoy wrestling him? Oh, man, that was great. That was a, just a great dance, you know? I mean, that guy, you know, not only is a great performer, but he, he's a really great guy. And, uh, you know, he knows what he's doing. He's a true professional. True professional. It was a and, privilege to work with that man. Gotcha. You did wrestle Antonio Noki, I believe, a few times. What was it like wrestling him? Obviously later on in his career wasn't in his prime, but what was it like wrestling him? Well, they were wrestling more, so wrestling for his retirement. You know. And um uh, in a retirement match in Japan, you know, it's supposed to be a long thing, you know, the ebb and flow, up and down, all that good stuff, uh give the people their their memory, you know, and uh, give the guy a chance to give a help a performance on his way out. And I went in there and like a minute and a half in, I broke three of his ribs. So he, yeah, so he called the match, you know, but three minutes. So I took a 30 a year career, you know, the greatest, the biggest wrestler in the nation, Japan. And I, and I ruined his uh retirement minutes I like made him go three and a half minutes
1: i'm
2: sorry I'm what? sure he wished he fixed. i said i'm sure he wished he picked somebody else
1: <laughs> oh I could definitely see that but what how was the crowd uh in Japan towards you and uh how did you feel about uh you know the the reactions that they uh They kind of gave since they were a little more uh, timid at that point. They're a little bit more uh, Americanized now with their uh, reactions to pro wrestling. But what was their take on Don Fry? They were all scared of me. It was great. Uh, uh,
2: Everybody asked me You get a lot of chicks and all that. Uh, They were all afraid of me. Nobody nobody talked to me. Um, I I didn't give out a lot of autographs until word got around and I I wasn't
1: Did that um did that translate to like the media as well in Japan who was covering it?
2: Uh.
1: Did you get any kind of advice from any of the guys uh, over here before you went over about uh, maybe some of the politics or some of the, uh, you know, the, the, the backhandling stuff of the Japanese pro wrestling scene before you headed over?
2: so, you know. <laughs> <And> he just, <laughs> like, he's just a giant. Just and he's as nice as he's as just. You get the opportunity to meet Scott Norton, and take it. I don't know, sure he do it. Now, speaking Scotty Norton, and you, uh, you guys had some matches, and, and I'm sure he, uh, he obviously he's a very stiff worker. What was it like working with him? I know you said he's very strong, but was it? Basically a very stiff and snug match between you guys? Well, it was for him, you know. <laughs> like I said, I, I was a horrible worker. But Scott, <laughs> Scott was a great worker, man. Scott, Scott was a great worker. And, uh, you know, it, it's like it's like working with a piece of paper, carry your shadow. I mean, Scott took care of me. You know, he carried, you know, like Vegeta carried my first match. Scott carried every match I was in with him. Do you think Scott and a lot of the American or the Kijin workers that were over there, do you think they treated you with a lot more respect because they knew you were a legitimate fighter who, you know, had just been real, could probably, you know, kick all their asses, basically? Well, you know, the, the, the guys I named off, you know, you know, Scott, Eddie
0: um, Guerrero,
2: his cousin Chavo, you know, you know Chris Law. Um, Steven Regal, Stephen Stephen was great you know I mean every guy over there was really polite because they actually knew you know they, they were they were tough in their own manner you know they they weren't pretenders you know? they weren't they, they, they were tough and uh, so they gave they gave respect you know where it was due because you know they, they had earned it themselves you know me god dang me so Oh, one well, powerful, it's unbelievable, but it's one of the nicest guys in the world. Tonga, you know, are we calling call it mean or talking uh, about just a powerful guy, but a nice, nice, delightful kind of individual guy. In Japan, you worked with so many great names. Up. We mentioned a few, but then there's Yuji Nogatic, Masuki Sasaki, Nakanishi, Fujiwara, one guy that really, really sticks out to me because I think he's one of the best wrestlers of all time is Kawada. What was it like working with him, and did you enjoy your matches with him? Oh, well, only we had one match with Kawada, and, uh, and, uh, you know he he got a little stiff there a, a couple of times cause, you know on purpose. I was stiff by accident. He got he got pissed because Philly's hurt. Took a couple cheap shots. So yeah, he did. Definitely had the reputation of uh, stiffing a few guys, and you could see with those those kicks that he lays in. He he definitely doesn't put him in very lightly. He definitely uh, puts them in with some force. Right. Yeah. You know. I, mean, I don't. I don't care if you, you. know. You keep me in the front. You know. As far as you just wanting. You know, he took shot in the back of my head, you know. It was, uh, was uh, pretty weak, uh, I believe. Definitely. Now, you, I mean, you wrestle Inoki, Fujinami, Muda, um, Scott Norton, all these big names, all these huge guys that were former IWGP champions and, and so on and so forth. But do you have a favorite match or maybe matches that you had in Japan that really stick out to you? Um, Yeah, uh, I'm sure I do. <laughs> you know, all oh, my matches. with Scott Harden always do. You know, I get, get to work with me and a couple of days. That was good. Brian Johnson. You know, Brian Johnson and I had, had some good matches. Because Brian, you know, was, was just a tough individual. He was a real fighter. He was a real man. And uh, so, you know, we could pick up the level there, Brian and I. Mm-hmm. And uh, so... Yeah, you know, uh, the Anoki match would have been great if I didn't ruin it, you know? (laughs) (laughs) I believe the last match you ever had wrestling-wise, wasn't it uh, against Josh Barnett of all people for Anoki for for the IGF? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was it like wrestling Josh? Was that that fun, given that you both obviously have a lot of experience being MMA legends? And also wrestlers. Well, it wasn't until the end, you know. And uh, then he remember the, what uh, Mr. Man pulled on uh, red Hart with um, oh shit, with, I don't know. Screwjob? Huh? The screwjob? Yeah. You, yeah, screw yeah, Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, Josh was a booker, and he came, to, you know, he came to me in the locker room, and I told you know, how's the, how's the, how's the finish? He says, well, I go over, okay, well, you know, how's the finish? He says, no, I, I do put you in this, uh, submission hold and you tap. I says, no, Josh, no, I don't tap, you know, said, come on, that's not my, you know, that's not my gimmick, I don't tap, you know, said, you knock me out, you choke me out, you pin me, you know, you, you know, you gotta give me what, what I do, you know, and he said, okay, and, uh, we did the match, and there at the end, he put me in it, and then ding, 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 you know. Uh, he, he tried, he just screwed job on me. And uh, I said, okay, okay. So I, I just laid there. Like, I was dead. You know, I laid there. It took all this thunder away. Right? You know, I laid there, and they, they tried to get me up, and I fell. I, they get me up, I fall. I fall, and then I fell through the ropes. And then, I, you know, they tried to get me up, and I fell about five times going back to the locker room. And Bob back was the back there. He said, are you okay? You know, as soon as I walked through the locker room door, are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. I double-crossed Josh after he double-crossed me. <laughs> was there uh, any heat between you guys still, or do you get along with them? No, I get along with them now. know, people do stupid shit. You know, do <laughs> not worry about it forever. If I remember correctly, did you wrestle Umaga, uh, a.k.a. Jamal, at one point in your career? Uh, I think, yeah, I think so. Jamal, he's, he's dead now, right? He's definitely different than a lot of the Japanese guys you work with. He's a big, vicious, or was a big, vicious Samoan, but he's a great worker. Do you remember uh, that match? No, I don't, because what happened is um, we tied up. Um, I hit him, he hit me, and I took I took a bump and I hit my head, and I woke up, I woke up in the, in the locker room, and all I can remember is that he's mad as hell, and I didn't know what that, what the hell happened. Wow. So, you know, do you know what happened? happened? Do you want, you want to clue me in? No, I I I was looking it up and I I don't remember that that match either. So it's funny. I guess we're on the same boat in that one because I didn't remember you wrestling him at all. Hey, that was for all Japan, right? Now, <laughs> so, uh, in in two thousand one, you end up winning the G One World Climax, which is the gijin only version of of the G One tournament. Gaijin, Gaijin. Gaijin, I'm sorry. Yeah, I was I I'm not very good with my uh, Japanese. Foreigners, me, foreigners. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Imagine the UFC trying to get away with something like that. But you you win the the world the G one world tournament and then you end up leaving uh, the pro wrestling business. Was there a reason that you decided to leave and go back to MMA at that point? Because it seemed like they were giving you a big push. Yeah, you know the whole thing is really confusing to me. Really confusing because. um, uh, for a couple of months ago, you know, I, I worked for two years on a handshake and then uh, the last two years, you know, then they came up with a contract, you know. Once I signed the contract, they worked the shit out of me. Well, I'll tell you, but, um, then my contract was coming due, you know, in three months. I said, hey, my contract's coming due, you know, and nobody said anything. So, uh, yeah, hey, my contract's coming due, so nobody said anything. So, I call it pride. You know, I figured New Japan wasn't going to renew my contract. So I called Pride and I'll see interested in hiring me. And they did, so I started negotiating with them. And, um, you know, a month away, I'm uh, still so like, hey, you know, my contract's coming due. Nobody said anything. They're like, uh, two weeks left, they said, you know, i I supposed to find with Pride. And at two weeks left, they come up and say, okay, they're ready to negotiate your contract. Dude, <laughs> I thought you didn't want me. I was with pride. And uh, so then they came up with this. They had the tournament, and they let me go over, and I couldn't figure out why they would put me over Scott Norton, of all people, you know, in the finals. Scott, you know, he, he's one of the biggest guy team names over there. You know, he had their strap uh, several times and one of the greatest workers, you know. And uh, everybody loves him. And they had us in the finals, and I went over, and then I walked away. So, you know, I'm, I'm confused as, as much as anybody else. Yeah, that that was one thing that I noticed myself to ask, because I was very confused on that, because you were about to get a big push, and then all of a sudden you're gone. So, very interesting. It's almost like when WCW gave Chris Benoit the title knowing that he was leaving. Very very strange. It almost doesn't make sense. It's almost backwards booking by uh, by these companies. Yeah, I mean you know, I'd love to go back there, man. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I I, I miss Japan. Shit if I think if they give me a call, I get my foot in the street, you know, I'll be back. Do you watch any uh, New Japan nowadays now that it's on uh, American TV? No partner I don't have I don't have T V, you know. Oh, on we uh we got two daughters, you know, and they're teenagers, so they're busy with school, and I spend half my time out in l a and the other half back in Tucson, so it's just an expense that we don't even incur, oh okay, gotcha now, um, back to pride for a second here, as we were talking about pride, you basically left. I wouldn't say left the Predator gimmick, but you almost went into, like, an American Patriot-type gimmick after 9-11, and, and you know, you changed up your type a bit. And you're still a Predator, but you almost changed to a Patriot. Do you think, do you think am I correct in saying that? But a gimmick. And uh, you know, I mean, carrying that flag, um, that was a highlight in my career. Carrying that flag, you know, it held up high. You know, um, I remember at the '84 Olympics in Los Angeles, you know, they had that big, powerful shot putter, discus guy. You know, I think he's a he shot putter. He, you know, carried carried the American flag straight out. You know, like God dang, my arms would fall off. And uh, you know, I said, geez, if i ever get the opportunity to carry a flag in a battle, that'd be awesome and that's that's what I did. you know, I was a man enough to join the military, but I carried carry the you know United States flag in the battle, and that was the proudest moment of my career and boy, oh boy, did you have some awesome, awesome battles in in the you know in the ring after that, especially. With Ken Shamrock, that was one of the greatest fights uh, Thank of you. all time. And, Thank and you know, Ken and I, can I fought like middleweights. You know, we're heavyweights, and you know, we well, thirty years old, but or maybe, maybe I'm over thirty-five. I not know, 35 i do not know, but we fought like, you know, fought like twenty-year-old middleweights. You know, I've yeah. never seen, I've never seen any other heavyweights match that match that pace it's funny you talk about with barnett you say you don't tap you don't tap and uh obviously years before you you fought shamrock and you both almost broke each other's legs and you both refused to tap and you know basically it goes down to the split decision you take the win, but that's one of the most memorable moments that you you literally refusing to tap and he almost broke your leg and you're almost breaking his well, he broke both my ankles just, they were just hairline fractures you know so can't really complain about it but um you know that's that less can't tell you know, he's done the fight he stayed right in there you know, he won his best. and uh like what happens with that you know you hit him you hit him you knock him out but you hit him again you'll bring him right back into the fight that's what happened you know I knocked him out but when he landed he hit his head against uh uh and he bounced right back up and he got right back into the fight. I was like, <laughs> son of bitch. <laughs> yeah, Ken is definitely a tough guy. And can you believe that he's coming back at the age of 50, that he's going to be fighting Kimbo's Slice. Fight? I think it's great, man. I'm looking forward to that fight, you know. Um, like I said, you know, I tell Scott Cook, you know, uh, if it pulls out, you know, I'm ready. I'm ready to sit there and I'll I'll play Kimbo. Oh, you you're in shape? You you could do it. Yeah, yeah. I've been training. You know, I got Kenya Suda over here. Uh, he's been helping me change uh, the weights. You know, Ken Ken was Mr. Japan's bodybuilder and he was a head coach for the Tokyo Sabers. You know, and, uh, Ken, I've been friends for like 15 years or so, and he's been helping. Me. Yeah, uh, with the strength and conditioning, and then uh, Stuart Wilson's been helping me with the boxing, you know. So I'm, uh, you know, six more weeks. I'll be, getting, I'll be When did you go.
1: transition into the acting wow. world, and was that easy for you?
4: You know,
2: um, this is my first big movie got up. Uh, you know, Ruby really got a marathon you will know, call me up, and, uh, I guess he wrote that part for me. <sighs> God, but I, think I, I wish I could have done better for him, you know, I just bumbled around that, <laughs> <laughs> I bumbled around that stage the whole time, and just, I'm sure he talked a hundred times a day, what, you know, and, uh, you yeah, know, my first, my first couple of movies were just a uh, performance disaster, and, uh, you know, you, you think, oh, you watch something on TV. Yeah, I can do that. I can do that. But no, you can't. It's like anything else. You have to dedicate yourself. You have to rehearse. You have to practice. You have to make commitment, you know. It's a, it's a job. It's a career, you know. It's an art form. And, you know, it, it's just like, it's like being a pro athlete. You have got to put, you know, get out of what's put into it, man. So, you know, I go to the acting classes now. I take, you know, uh,
1: And then how about the voice acting? I see, like I think you got the perfect voice actor voice. I mean, it's like you, you have such a distinct tone to you. Do you like doing the, uh, the voiceovers?
2: You know, I've only done a couple of voiceovers. So if there's any voiceover agents out there listening, I need a voiceover agent. I had once, uh, one voiceover agent tell me, here, one strict pony, you got one
1: You've obviously already mastered the uh, the insurance world. You dominated that uh, pretty, uh, pretty easily a couple of years back. But I'll tell you what, you want to talk about voiceovers. Lee Emery basically made a career doing the same voice, so he's got a pretty distinct yeah. one, so I can't see why you can't.
2: You know, some people just really can't think. They just, you know, they, they get a position, and um, how they get their position, nobody knows.
1: people like that it makes the world go round I guess but just kinda of wrapping this up, what would you say your legacy is in the fighting world and the wrestling world and what you've contributed, you know, to to the sport you've put so much of your life into
2: uh, you know, I don't know because I'm dumbass is you know, I speak I speak the truth. And nobody wants to hear the truth, do they?
1: Not if it's going to be negative towards them, but you definitely do speak the truth. And you can go check out The Predator Don Fry at the com. Is there any place else you would love to send the fine folks that listen to the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling podcast?
2: Well, we're going to... Hopefully, we're going to get Predator's predictions back up and running, you know? Um, we're going to go talk to Scott Coker and see if we can start... Uh, doing predators predictions on Bellator, and, uh, and there's a couple other things uh, in play. You know, if we get if we get predators predictions back on, then uh, we're gonna try and get a couple other shows going. What about awesome. dear Don? Any thought about bringing back dear Don? You know, that's that's one of them, partner. That's one of them. You know, we that, that may end up coming sooner than uh sooner than expected if uh Predators Predictions doesn't come along. Um uh, the the uh recording quality won't be as good because uh you know, we have a guy named Simon First, um who does the uh filming for Predators Predictions and he's a buddy of uh, Stuart Wilson's, you know, Stuart's been uh, Bruce Willis's stunt double for, like, last eight years, last 15 movies. And they work together, you know, Simon will, will do all the behind-the-scenes filming for the uh, Die Hard movies. So those two, you know, Stuart's the uh, producer, and Simon's the cameraman for Predator's predictions. And if we do uh, have to do uh, Dear Don, then it'll probably be uh, done on my back porch, you know, back in Tucson, just... Uh, Mom and her one of the kids will be filming me so. as <laughs> well. <laughs> mm-hmm. Do you have a prediction for the Shamrock Kimbo Slice fight? You know, hmm, I'm mm-hmm. gonna go with Ken because I've been hit by Ken. I've been grabbed by Ken. I've been tossing my head by Ken. I've had a couple bones broke by Ken. So I'm gonna. Mm-hmm. I want to go with the old Shamrock. You know, I I think Kimbo's great. I really do. I respect the I respect the man. I think he's great. But um, you, you know, it, it, there's a hell of a difference between um a professional trained fighter and a uh, co-kid ghetto rat. Man. And that's not Kimbo. I mean, that's not Kimbo. It's the guys he's been fighting. So, like I said, I love Kimbo. I think he's great. This is going to be one, uh, I mean, obviously Ken is a little bit older now, but this is going to be one big step up in competition because, like you said, Kimbo wasn't really fighting anybody, uh, anybody good or of name quality or anybody that could take him to the ground. Yeah, you know, but, you know, Kimbo's strong as a horse, and he's tough. You know, he, don't get me wrong. I'm not bad-mouthing the man. The guy's all mad. Yeah, he's a serious, you know, a serious fighter. But Ken Shamrock's, you know, a professional athlete. There's quite a difference. What about a prediction? Let's just uh, throw out you know, unknown fighter versus CM Punk. Who do you think is going to win that one? Oh my God! You know, I've, I'm going to go with Punk for the first couple of fights. You know, uh, unless. Unless Ronda Rousey decides to fight a man and she fights CM Punk, then that's going to be her first male victory. (laughs) Do you like uh, Ronda Rousey? Do you think she's a great fighter? I think she's a tremendous athlete. She's a tremendous athlete, great judo fighter. Um, But, uh, you know, when... Back UFC 11, you know, Leon Tap's came up to me. You know, I, I trained Scott and in, in the uh, lobby of the hotel. Leon Tapps comes up to me and says, Man, I am a big fan of yours now, you know? And I said, Now? You, you, weren't you before? You know, before UFC 10? He said, Yeah, but now I know that you're, you're tough. You are a fighter, you know? Ronda has not proven to be a fighter yet. You know, um, she's, she's been given a bunch of tomato cans and she, she something had to break a sweat. You know, when she's, when she's in a fight where it's back and forth, you know, and, uh, and she, she, wins, well then, yeah, then she, she could be called a fighter. Yeah, so like you said before, maybe she's, uh, well, I guess not maybe, I guess she definitely is, right now, I guess she's, Dana White's cash cow. Right. So you're going to protect her. I mean, if Dana White really loved the fans and really respected the fans, like he claims, he would take a million dollars and get uh, the cow from the Olympics who beat Ronda Rousey, right? And would train her for, you know, six months, eight months, a year, whatever, whatever it takes, and pay her to train, and then and then pay her another billion dollars to, to fight. You know I mean? And the storyline is there. You know, Ronda Rousey gets repensed on the girl that, you know, uh, took away her gold medal in the Olympics. And, uh, you know, that would be like this Pacquiao-Mayweather um, fight. You know, you give both a billion dollars, and you'll, get, you'll make $20 million back. Definitely. Do you have a prediction on that one, too, Mayweather and Pacquiao? I will with Mayweather, yeah. I think, Mayweather, I think Mayweather's bulletproof. I really do. You know, unfortunately, back, he's already proven three times, you know, you can beat me, But nobody's nobody's come up with the secret to beat uh, Mayweather. And, uh, you know, I think it's, uh, you know, he, he's going to shine big time, man. It's uh, Saturday night's the uh, gonna uh, just gonna be a a, a win slot machine for the guy. Now one thing I actually I I wanted to mention this before I forgot to mention it to you because when we had spoken previously you said you're a big fan of Austin Idol. Were you a big fan of the Memphis territory um you know, back then? Yeah you no, know, you know we used to watch um on T V S. What was it? The NWA? Uh, World Championship Wrestling? Uh, yep. Remember yep. when Gordon Gordon Sully was uh the commentator?
0: Oh yeah. You know?
2: And uh it was great back then, you know. I mean fuck I'd live for Saturdays afternoons. When uh you know, Friday Thursday night or Friday night you'd get um the Wild Samoans and um and then Martino uh, from New York on the WWF, and then um, Saturday afternoons, you 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 would get the NWA, you know, World Championship Wrestling down in Georgia, and uh, it was it was great, you know. And when um you know you get to see uh Rick Flair and his prize, Terry Funk in their prime, you know, it was you know it was great. And uh, Austin Idol came on the scene, and he was, I thought he was awesome, man. I became an instant fan of the dude, and then he, he then he disappeared. And I couldn't figure out why, why he didn't have the strap, because he had the charisma, he had the build, you know, the look, you know. <laughs> and uh, I didn't understand why he, he wasn't struggling with the strap. I loved, I loved his gimmick where you get down on one knee and spread his arms and rub his chin. You know, I love that. (laughs) Yeah, what happened was he, uh, he, you know, they they got him down in Memphis, and he said he only wanted to work three days a week. They paid him for three days a week as if he was working, you know, six days, and he decided to stay there and, you know, make all that boatload of money down there. And basically him and Jerry Lawler were uh, top dogs. Well, you know, I mean, he's a smart man. He knows how to do it. You know, I... Apparently I wasn't business. I wasn't uh business smart, you know. Here I am forty nine and a half years old and i half I was out in Hollywood trying to do, you know, do you know, do work here and then, uh trying to hang out to be a replacement fighter for Ken Shamrock. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, you just got to make sure when you're in Hollywood, you don't break anybody's ribs, you know, especially uh, especially any Hollywood legends. Oh, man, I'll tell you. Uh, two years ago, one of my first movies it was like, No Rules. Uh, Frank Shamrock called me up, say, Don, you want to come up here, do this movie? And uh, who are they? Uh, Tom Sizemore. I was supposed to do a fight scene with Tom Sizemore. That guy was such such a horse's ass to everybody, you know. And uh, one time, you know, I we were fighting. I went down, you know. He knocked me down. I'm, I got my eyes closed. I'm almost, you know, I'm knocked out. And I guess he he steps, straddles my chest, and leans over and just slaps me, boom. <laughs> and, and I open my eyes and I look over to the, to my left where Kotor and 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 I look at them, and they start laughing <laughs> like, you bastards, you know. <laughs> uh, and, but apparently, you know, later on, I, I slipped with a with a punch to the ribs, so I, you know. And so everybody everybody's real happy about that. There <laughs> you are again, breaking those ribs. I love it. I um, you know. I know yeah, know one guy and then Tom Sizemore. You know, I mean, I was, I was lucky to get off that island. That's right. I swear, I thought I was going to get killed. I really did. Because, um, you know, he turned a great career into, you know, a five-minute match. And then, um, I mean, nobody talked to me. You know, and, you know, I broke his ribs. And then afterwards, you know, the retirement, I mean, he stands in the center of the ring. And you, know, you got 50 dignitaries, big names, but have you, come in, and they bow. You know, so you know you have these busted ribs. He has to bow, um, stand back up, and reach out to grab the flowers, pull them back to his chest, bow again, and turn to the side, hand the flowers over to the, the, the girl, turn around back to the person, and bow again. <laughs> You know, and they had to do that for like like an hour. Man.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
2: and I was like, oh my God, the whole uh, way, you know. I was like, Molly, they're going to kill us. They're going to kill us, Molly. I said, like, we can't get off this island. And uh, we finally get to the air, airport, you know, and. Um, uh, you know, I mean, the whole ride to the airport was quiet. Nobody said a word to us. And yeah, no, we you, go through security, you know. I said, all right, we're almost there. Yeah. You know, we're there uh, waiting to get on the plane. And a couple of people come up and say, oh, if you're done, try huh?" blah, 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 you know. And I talk to them. they go, okay, we're boarding. I'm like, all right, we're going to make it. We're going to make it. So we get on the plane. And we're sitting there. And they close up. They closed the doors. All right, we're closing the doors. And I'm like, all right, we're out of here. We're out of here. And the next thing I know, I'm sitting there, Molly, there's a tap on my shoulder. I look, and the this this stewardess says, uh, Mr. Fryson, you have a phone call? I said, what? There's a phone call for you uh, in, in the airport. You have to take it. I go, oh, my God. So I get off. I walk in there. <laughs> And I get the phone, and I ask hey, you know he's on. I go, oh, my God. And he says, <laughs> I said, you know, he's whack me. You go, why right here in the airport? At least it's not in front of my wife. <laughs> and he says, uh, Don, I want to thank you for the for doing the match for me. Uh, I go, what? He says, uh, thank you for doing the match for me. A very important Uh you very know, you know, honor, thank you very much uh yeah, yeah, uh yes sir, yes, sir <laughs> you're welcome man <laughs> i mean uh, he, anybody who got enough power to shut down an international airport like that man you know that they're connected you know, <laughs> you know so yeah. i hung up, I hung up that phone and, and uh, you know sprinted sprint back to that airplane <laughs> I gonna get out of here man. I guess there wasn't any heat. I was going to say, was there any heat, but I guess there wasn't if he he thanked you afterwards. No, yeah, it shocked the hell out of me. You know, we've seen each other over the years, and then, uh, I don't know, something happened, something happened over, uh, shit, seven or eight years ago. I don't know. One of the, one of the, um, one of the, uh, uh, IGF matches or something. I don't know. I've Uh, apparently I I insulted him somewhere somehow so things 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 have gone cold for my career in Japan so I was going to say I guess you're not going to be going back to the IGF anytime soon what's that I was going to say I guess you're not going to go back to the uh, IGF anytime soon the Anoki Genome Federation no I haven't gotten a phone call from them so I don't know you know uh, if, uh, uh, well, oh, fuck, who, Josh Barnett's uh, the booker and he's mad because I busted his eardrum in our match, you know, or if, uh, you <laughs> know, he's still plotting to kill me, you know? <laughs> well, Don, I just want to thank you so, so much for coming on. You are a true legend in the MMA business and, uh, Great, great to hear, you know, about your pro wrestling career as well, because that is so interesting, and you've wrestled so many interesting and legendary names in Japan, and, and the guy-jins, if you will, also awesome, awesome guys like Scott Norton, and even Brian Johnston in, in over there in Japan. So it's really, really great getting to talk to you. Thank you so much for coming on with us tonight. Well, thanks for having me, guys. so. I'll tell you what, you know, Brian Johnston, God bless him. You know, he's one of the greatest athletes I ever know in my life. And now, um, you know, he had that stroke back in 2001 and now, um, you know, he used to come to a wheelchair. So, uh, you know, anybody, you know, anybody out there at the heart, you know, donate, to donate to Brian Johnson's cause, please. Cause he's a great person. And even, uh, Mark Coleman as well. He, uh, Yeah, Mark too. Mark's on rough. Mark's having a rough go. Yep. But it was uh, it was great great to have you on. Uh, Really really appreciate your time. Thank you.